You're tuned in to The Keetra Show and listening to SOB, Style of Business, the podcast with your host, Keetra. We aim to highlight the ongoing trek of entrepreneurs and business owners from around the globe, featuring stories that recount their struggles, experiences, and inevitable road to success and self-fulfillment. Welcome to SOB. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of SOB Style of Business. Today I'm speaking with Nikenji, who is an artist, writer, and music producer. So Nikenji, hey, how's it going? How are you today? Hey, everything's good. I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's a little chilly outside, but you know, I'm warm in here. Hey, there you go. I know it's a, a little bit nippy here as well, but as long as it's not raining, I'm fine. Exactly. There you go. All right, perfect. So give us a brief background on your industry experience and just what you do as far as a musician and performer and all that other good stuff. So yeah, as a musician, I am a pianist and percussionist by trade. So I play the keys, play the drums, and I'm a rapper, and I'm a singer, and I'm a producer. So uh, all of those things are my day-to-day life. So I stay very busy. And in in the industry, I get called to work with people for any number of those things. And some some people might not be aware of like one of my skill sets and and others might be aware of all of them. But, you know, on any given week, I can be asked to do a verse for somebody or lay some keys on something or take a look at some writing for something. Um, So I'm everywhere. Jack of all trades. All over the place. Okay, good deal. Yeah, and I know uh, you have the album that, it's, what is your? I know your album is uh, being finalized and get ready to be released. And also, in addition to the album, the single "Wayment" that you released uh, here not too long ago, I had a chance to check it out. And uh, I mean, I thought it was a pretty high production, not only on the production side of things, but also with the writing. You know, the style of uh, writing that you do. So, tell us a little bit more about Wayman. Thank you so much. First of all, I mean, I really, I had a lot of fun with that song, and I can't say that enough. Because that was a song that didn't start out, it didn't start out like that at all. And one of the reasons why the writing is so poignant is because it went through a lot of phases. And the original idea, like the original sets of, of like ideas that I was recording for that song, they have, they sound nothing like what the writing is now. So, um, and I can, I'll explain that a little bit because basically it was the intention behind the song that I had to revisit. So like when I started it, I started with just the the vocal sample that you hear, where it's like, ha, 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 ha. I took that, I looped it, because I, I really liked that. And from like looking at a lot and listening to a lot of trap songs, I wanted to make a dope trap song that was like my version, right? Like my production style, but still trap, you know, and, and like a beautiful type of trap music. So... I noticed that most of the trap songs that I love are centered around like a really short series of notes, like a short melody or a short sample, and then it's repeated, 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 and then built off of that with the signature drums and 808s and stuff. So I started with that vocal sample, and I pitched it up like over an octave, so it sounds really high pitch. And then I looped that, and then after that I realized that you know, it was easier to write a it was easier to write a chorus than a verse because I wanted everything to fit like a concept. You know what I'm saying? And if I write a verse, sometimes I just get carried away with uh, the creativity 
of what I'm saying, but it doesn't really, you know, tie into a point. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to start with a chorus so that I had a point and then speak on the point. And the first hook that started out with, though, was not this. It was like everybody trap, everybody game bang, uh, everybody rap, and they say the same thing. Now, I thought that was hot for, like, the longest time. Like, (laughs) I really did. Like, and... It might still be, but that's not important. What's important is <laughs> I changed it because my boy Jupiter, who was one of my mentors out here in L.A., listened to the song, and he goes, you can't do that. Like He was like, what are you trying to do with this song? Are you trying to uh, reach people that are in the culture or people that aren't? And I was like, man, I want to reach the you know, here and now, the, the youth that you know really love this music. And he was like, well, that's not going to work because... What you're doing is you're basically admonishing those people for their style of music and the, the music they choose to listen to. I didn't hear it that way. I was hearing it like, I want to make a song about how all of us that are making rap music are like stuck in the same box. And But there's it's very difficult to do that without being preachy. And it was a very preachy hook. And I had to step outside of myself to appreciate that. And listen to him. And then I just said, all right, let's say you're right. And let me just unbuild this and build it back up from scratch. So when I did that, I realized I could just go in a totally different direction and still be positive. <laughs> like I could go into the direction of just having fun and writing a cool hook. So then it just became about like, you know, Wayman. Like it just became about having, you know, resources and trying to keep your resources. So I feel like you're going to ask me what Wayman means, but yeah, that's the next. I'm, I'm, I'm really just waiting for you to take a pause and ask you to explain the title and yeah. let us know exactly what that means. Well, it, it is just as simple as it sounds. Like it's it's wait a minute, wait a minute is wait a minute, wait a minute. Because what happened was around that time that I was writing this, there was some meme that I saw on Black Twitter which I stay on 24-7. And, um, and I, I forget exactly what was going on, but it was basically like somebody saying, like, hold up, this is ridiculous. And the, the way they wrote wait a minute was W-A-Y-M-E-N-T, which was so hilarious to me. And I was like, this is a thing. This is going to be a thing. And I want to make a song about it before it becomes a thing so that I'm like ahead of the wave. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, because that when people figure out that that's like, that's just a, a, it's just a euphemism of saying, wait a minute. Then of course people are going to start typing that all the time. So um, that was it. I was like, I got to make something about that. You know, it just happened to line up with me, uh, with me re- rewriting this song. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lesson in that, like, which is, not always right even like the good ideas aren't always the best ones and I really thought the original hook I was going to towards was going to be you know great and revolutionary in a sense but revolutionary stuff can be corny so I just you know I had to take a second look at it and realize I have an opportunity to be you know to be myself but you know allow other people to relate to me versus being myself and being and being too edgy, you know, or, or too, you know, alienating people from my life, you know, so that's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, one of the good things is that the song turned out to be a hit, you know, in my eyes, I, I definitely love the way that you put together the lyrics, the whole 
vibe of it. I mean, and so I wouldn't touch it. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it. I'm matter of fact. I'm glad that that initial hook didn't work out. Yeah, because yeah. you know, what your, end, what your end product was. So hey, two thumbs up from here. So <laughs> that's you. great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and and another thing I know, like recently, well, before, well, I don't can't remember last time we talked, but anyway, I know that there was a point where I was asking you, you know, as far as your, you know, classical training and uh, how you got started as far as the production and songwriting and things like that. Um, tell us a story about, you know, how you got started into music and what really kind of pulled you in to go in that direction. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell it in order because it's a lot easier to follow. Like, honestly, it started with my grandma and then my sister because one of my grandma's um, last wishes was for my sister to get piano lessons since my mom had bought a piano. Like, when my mom was younger, she bought a piano um, but nobody really got lessons on it ever since my mom did. So my grandma was like, I want this to continue. I want you to get, you know, get your daughter to get lessons. So when my grandma passed, my parents went ahead and got my sister in piano lessons. And we were in North Virginia at the time. And we just so happened to be living right across the street from the piano teacher, which, you know, made it easy to do. But they didn't realize that I was going to, you know, start taking up the practice. It was a no-brainer for me because I'm a year younger than my sister. And as the boy, I was always naturally competitive and trying to be better than her, regardless of being younger. So as soon as I knew she was going to get piano lessons, I knew that I had to get piano lessons. Like As soon as she knew she was getting practice, I was like, I'm going to be better than you for like no reason except for the fact that like she's doing it, you know, and that's my sister and I'm and I have to win. So, I you know, <laughs> like it was yeah, it it was it was very um inherently petty at first, but um it grew because she would come home with the piano books and for the first year I just watched her and what she was doing and and tried to piggyback off of her lessons. And then my parents realized that I was I wasn't going to stop. And they finally got me lessons. And then, yeah, so that was, I was six or seven when that started. And then, you know, a couple years later, I moved to North Carolina, right? And, like, through that process of, of getting piano lessons, you know, I started with classical, um, but I eventually pushed my teacher to allow me to do to do more ragtime music because I was I was excelling in the classical stuff, and I wanted to flavor it up, you know? And... Uh, Ragtime music has a lot more syncopation. It's more like jazz. So after that, then I really got into more jazzy stuff, like more Gershwin stuff and more things that I just thought like have more soul in them. So by the time I moved out of Virginia and went into, uh, you know, middle school, I was I was in band and in band, they don't have no piano at all. So they threw me in percussion because piano is technically a percussion instrument. And that's where I learned how to how to drum and you know, the rest is history. It became very easy to produce after that. That is, wow. At, at any point, did you ever get, like, bored or tired of any instruments and things like that? Did you ever just want to say, you know what, I'm done with this music. I'm yes. going to go forward. <laughs> you know, it's like, I always, I, there were definitely moments where I did not like it. Like, I never felt like I was done, though. And that was the beautiful thing. What, what I remember vividly, because I even feel this all the time now, like when I like the whole first two years of playing piano, I was like 
this is dumb. Why am I not good? And I, I was, I was really, it was really upsetting, you know, to not be good, but to have the knowledge that I could and to like be able to watch other people play so well, watch my piano teacher play so well. And I was just like, man, it was painful. It was hard. It was annoying to have to repeat pieces over and over again and keep messing up on stuff that I like, I can read the music, but I'm not playing it right. And to know that you can't play it right and then have to do it 150 times and then you have 30 seconds of music memorized, you know what I'm saying? It, it was tedious work and it wasn't fun. A lot of the time it was not fun at all, but I, I didn't feel like I was done. It pushed me to go harder because I knew that, you know, what they say, like no pain, no gain or whatever. And basically, like if you're not evolving towards something, then, then you're, you're dead. And so I, I knew I wanted to be great, but it just, it was very difficult at first. The growing pains were real. And now, like, as far as piano goes, the growing pains are, you know, negligible, like, as far as learning new pieces. But I have other areas in life that I'm trying to grow at, and they're just as hard as piano was those first two years. So, yeah, yeah. I never thought I was done. Yeah, it definitely takes patience to learn any instrument. Yeah, yeah. So, and obviously it paid off because you've been working with a lot of different independent artists and uh, major labels across the board. And I know that you have directly worked with uh, Good Music and also uh, TIG. So tell us a little bit about that. So the Good Music thing happened first, and that opened the doors for TIG in a way. And that was because Good Music allowed me to move to L.A. and really grow my network to a place where it's more people in the music industry and not just musicians. And the way that the good music thing happened was totally organic, which I thank God for all the time because uh, it didn't, you know, most of the time for people jumping in the industry, it's not so much organic as it is like, you know, having a hookup. (laughs) I I didn't really have a hookup, but, (laughs) but I had other situations that developed into a hookup thanks to this, the good music thing. Yeah, I guess um, it was in my sophomore year of college, Ryan McDermott signed to Good Music. And I was, I've always been like a huge fan of Good Music and I've always followed everything they did because I'm just like a Kanye West stan. I've always been a fan and, <laughs> and a ridiculously like excited supporter, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like sidebar, sidebar. This is very important though to like, to how, how important this moment was to me. My first concert was Alicia Keys. My next three concerts were Kanye West concerts that I paid for, like, with my own money. And, like, the first two of those Kanye concerts, I spent, like, $600 on tickets. And I was a kid. I literally was in, like, you know, sophomore year of high school. This was the same year that I was, like, just starting to see... Sorry, sophomore year of college. The same year that I just started to, like, network with good music. I paid... $600 $600 for two different tickets just so that I could take somebody else to witness Kanye West. It was ridiculous. Like, and then I, and then I paid for another show on that same tour, you know, in this, in another city, which was just like stupid, but that's how much of a Kanye fan I am. I just like, as soon as I got a little bit of money, I was like, I got to see this man perform. So when he uh, signed this guy, Ryan McDermott, I was all over it. And then the first song they released that I saw was uh, featuring Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I also grew up, I grew up, my parents directly put Earth, Wind, and Fire in my life playlist because, you know, 
it felt like every day my father played Earth, Wind & Fire on the record or mentioned Earth, Wind & Fire or, you know, had us watch Earth, Wind & Fire's live performances. Like every day of my life, it feels like Earth, Wind & Fire was a part of my childhood. So (laughs) I was a big fan of Philip Bailey. Official okay. childhood soundtrack, Earth, Wind, and Fire. No, for sure. Like it changed a lot of. I mean, it, it made it made it important for me to be a musician because you know they played real instruments and they were and they were good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so that's one of the reasons my I think my parents pushed me so hard after I started picking up music because you know they're not going to be impressed by people that aren't as good as Earth, Wind, and Fire. And it's just you know that's that was the standard. So um, which is different today, but. Regardless, uh, that song came out, right? It was Philip Bailey and Ryan McDermott. So I was like, this is dope. I loved it, but there were no drums. And being that I was a young cat, I was really tuned into what the young people were listening to at that time. And it's still similar now. We were only listening to things that had like a really dope beat behind them, right? That that was before a lot of the um, more mainstream uh, you know, singer rappers and singer songwriters kind of got into hip-hop you know what I mean it, it was now it started to become more normal for like the hip-hop world to intersect with this the singing world but then it wasn't so much so I knew I had to put some drums on that thing I threw some drums on it it turned out well and I basically sent an email to Ryan because he had a public inbox at that time and he just so happened to see it and he just so happened to respond the next day and I just so happened to be in LA like a year and a half later just on that opportunity to work with him because he was very excited about it. So it was totally yeah. organic. It definitely organic. And I, I even remember you told me that you ended up missing a, was it a, a final or some, oh, some yeah, class? Yeah. Okay, so this is what happened. Oh, this is this is it like, happened. it doesn't get any realer than this. Like the night that I stayed up, and I think this is part of the reason he saw the email, the night that I stayed up, I was working on that song from like something like 6 p.m., until like 5.30 a.m. in the morning. And then I woke up and I had an 8 a.m. class, right? So I took a, I, I like took a nap from 5.30 a.m. to like maybe 7.30 a.m. And then I had an 8, I had an 8 a.m. class. So now I went and it was an exam review for our final. I went to the exam review and I straight fell asleep in that class. Like I was so tired. And then I basically woke up to the phone call from Ryan McDermott, like I was in class, like <laughs> trying to trying to get my life together, and that was a big turning point for me because I knew, like, okay, my priorities are starting to crystallize here, you know. So yeah, that that was a real story. Exactly. Yeah, and I I definitely think it's uh, something that contributed to where you are now because you you kind of took a chance, you know, you did what you wanted to do, you took a chance, it turned out well. Yeah. And you are in LA, so that's perfect. You can't beat that story. Well, but also, there's something else that's funny about this. Like, the college part was really important for me, which I don't really talk about that much. But this is why. Like, you mentioned that I work with both TIG and Good Music. So the TIG thing, I think it's a game records. They they have a, a few really awesome artists. One of them is Forte Bowie, who is who I collaborated with. That was also totally organic, and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to college. And in a way, like the good music thing probably wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to college. But with Think is a Game, that happened after I met up with good music and after I left college. But while I was in college, I had one friend named Rufus 
who was like really into this dude Forte Bowie's music and put me on his music early. And then Forte Bowie started to take off after I linked up with good music. And then, you know, Rufus saw me coming up as an artist and as a producer. And he was like, bro, remember that dude I told you about in college? He's like really popping now on his label. Y'all should get up, make some heat. Like after like a good two years after, you know, I left college and then it just totally it was easy because I had already planted those seeds with my peers and stuff in college. So, you know, anybody that, you know, could help me from there was going to reach out and help. So I think for any young person out there uh, that thinks that college and music are mutually exclusive, that's not true. You can get so many connections just off of going to another school. Yeah, that's, oh my goodness. Yeah, you, you couldn't have put that in a better sentence, in a better example rather. So that's perfect. And I know like with the different projects you worked on, do you have like a favorite that you um, kind of gloat at? That's a really good question. And that's a really hard question because I never got asked that question before, but I'm finna try. <laughs> like the first, the reason why that's difficult is because I've made so many songs that people haven't heard, right? And like most of the songs I made, obviously people haven't heard. Like if you go to my SoundCloud, it's like, like five or seven songs. And I've made like a good 400, 500 songs, right? That some of them aren't finished, but you know, that's tough. But I can say, so I, I don't know about a favorite a favorite project, but I do know right now anyways, I have a favorite moment like of a song that I produced. And um, like every time I hear that moment, I'm like, yeah, I want more moments like that in other songs, right? And um, it's the first song on my album actually, which I don't know the exact minute and second off the top of my head, but people might be able to guess it at some point. But it's near the end of the first song of my album because like, it took a while for me to get good at making that song. That song is like seven minutes long or, or like nine minutes. It's long. It's a very long song. And when I started it, you know, I produced it in order. Like I I built the song from the beginning to the end. Like I didn't make the, the verse and then build around the verse because there is no verse. It's an overture, meaning it's a bunch of, it's every song on the album, but like 15 seconds of that song, basically. And then I play through all those songs back to back to back. So it's like 15 seconds of track one, then 15 seconds of track two, and they all merge together seamlessly. But I did, I produced it in order. So at the end of the song, I was better at doing it than I was at the beginning of the song. Because I never, I've never made an overture before. I just, like from studying musical theater and studying composition, I've always loved overtures. But I just never saw nobody do it on a rap album. So um, but yeah, near the end of that song, there was a transition that I do that I love and I'm still in love with. And, um, you know, I just hope to make more moments like that that, are, that ins- inspire me throughout my career. You know, in addition to others. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely certain you will. You keep the creative juices flowing. And speaking of the creative process, what do you enjoy most about creating? I would say the post production, for sure. Like after it's all said and done, finishing the project because finishing is the most difficult part. But I feel like it's the most fulfilling part. Meaning, it's like I go from, you know, it could be anything. You know, the song could be anything in the world to this is what it is. And we going we gonna to wrap it up, you know, like pack it up, put it in an MP3 format, put it on iTunes. That That is my favorite part, like that process, because then the vocals start to sound good. 
all of the other instruments start to sound great because you, you get rid of all the draft stuff and it's like only final cuts are left. And you realize all that work you did, you know, can be crystallized to something. Right. Seeing the final yeah, product. Yeah, exactly. You know, that definitely makes sense. And I know like with your sound and um, just even the way you go about you know, writing your music and your songs and things like that. I know you, you go through an extensive uh, thought process, just kind of brainstorming different ideas. But like, what what do you feel is the, um, what's your selling point? Like what separates Nikenji from other uh, musicians uh, or artists, producers, writers in the industry? What are you doing to make sure that you stand out? You know, especially in a market that's so saturated with independent artists. So that's a great question. And for everybody, that answer is going to be different, and it has to be. Otherwise, you've lost. <laughs> but for me, for me, that answer is that I'm a jack of all trades, and I and I, I wear that on my sleeve. You know, I when I go into a situation, if I'm asked to go into a situation as a rapper, I'm also I'm also going into that situation as a pianist. I'm going to that situation as a producer. I'm going to that situation as a singer. I'm going into that situation as everything that I can do. Like at, at any moment, like that person that's asking me to come to the studio might not know what I'm coming there for. They they might think I'm coming there as, you know, as a keyboardist. But when I'm coming there, I'm coming there as everything. Right. So I don't really care what people ask me to do. I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to do everything else. And then you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to get rid of it if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, <laughs> I always over deliver basically because that is my brand. You know, as far as being in Kenji, I am all of those things and I can't just be one of them. So that helps me stand out because nobody's going to outdo me in, in the area because most people in the industry, they do one or two things well, and that's their, you know, those are their bullets and those are the bullets and after they shoot them, they're gone. So if I go up into the studio with a rapper and I'm I'm expected to rap on rap on a verse, and that rapper is better than me at rapping. I can be objective and and say that, and, and you know I can you know step outside of my ego enough to appreciate that. And I would you know I would to that person's face, I will let them know that they are awesome and that you know what they're doing has surpassed my level of skill. But I'm still going to rap a fire verse, and also. I'm going to change the beat. I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to be Kanye West. I'm going to say, all right, give me those stems. Because just because I can't rap as good as you don't mean my verse isn't going to be better than yours. I will change everything about it. And then for my 15 seconds, it's going to be in Kenji time. And then the verse is going to go back to your production. You know what I mean? Like, that's what that's how I survive in this industry. I just make my own world in whatever project I have to go into. Yeah, that's excellent. And that is definitely what that's a part of brand building. Yeah. Like that is your brand, everything that you bring to the table. Do you have um you got any feelings about what you think the most important aspect of that is, like the brand building? I, I honestly think it's living the brand because that's something that I've that I've seen the most results from personally. Um you know, it might not be the the most talked about, but that's something personally I've seen the most results from. And a funny story about like that concept coming back around is um, a couple months ago, or is it was it last month? Yeah, it was a holiday party. So last month uh, for Red Bull's holiday party, I was invited to perform. And in those conversations, the lady that was booking me, she let me know that you know Red Bull 
lives to brand. And because of that, their party was going to be from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. Like, oh, wow. you know, like literally in it, on a work day. And that's what they were going to do. And they were going to rock it because they're Red Bull and they turn up all the time. That's their whole thing. They do energy drinks. So they're, they're going to do it on a work day and then you're still going to go to work the next day because that is their culture, right? And it, it's every employee understands that that's how it is and nobody complains because in order to have a strong brand, you have to actually live it in your day-to-day process. Now, when I heard that, I was like, all right, they took it to the next level because I'm not really like, <laughs> I'm not really incorporating things <laughs> on that level. Like, I'm not going to like tape a piano to my to my hands, you know what I'm saying? But uh, there are some small things I do. Like, for instance, I, I changed my whole wardrobe to just be black because I realized that, you know, naturally I love to wear black and I like to do all of my pictures in grayscale. You know, I don't, I don't really like too much color uh, personally. So uh, I was like, let me just live that. Let me get rid of all these colors in my closet. So when I'm walking out the door, everybody knows me as the person that just wears black all the time or black with a little bit of gray or white in it, you know? And then all of my Instagram pictures, they're going to be grayscale. Ain't no color in them. All my Facebook pictures, all any publicity photos or videos that go out, you know, unless there's some specific reason, it's going to be on brand, Right. And so living that has brought me a lot more um, positive attention than I could have asked for because I'm not like, I don't have to create drama. It's just there is a drama to the way that I carry myself. That's perfect. Yeah, that, you, it doesn't get any better than that. And I feel like when you're uh, genuinely authentic, you know, it just kind of, it works. You know, you don't have to worry about trying to create something. It just kind of works and yeah, flows it on its works own. For me. Exactly. Yeah. So leave us with some advice for uh, aspiring musicians, producers, or just, I mean, just general life advice and things like that. I think that that'll be helpful to the people that are listening. So, like I said earlier, when I was talking about my upbringing and as far as, you know, playing the piano goes, that wasn't the most fun journey at all. It wasn't comfortable a lot of the times. Like to master an instrument, it's um, it's a lot of frustration. But it also ended up, you know, making me a, a good musician, you know, and it, and it gave me the strength to be able to push through other factors in life that are just as difficult as mastering an instrument, right? But if I wouldn't have taken that first step of saying, all right, I'm going to push through all of this, you know, anxiety or all the stress or all the, the, the discomfort to learn the piano, if I wouldn't have pushed through that, then I wouldn't have, you know, like opened my ability to push through other difficult things that come with being a great musician. So I'm getting to my point, but I'm saying that because like in 2017, we don't have to do the instrument thing anymore. You don't have to get vocal lessons. You don't have to do any of that. You can just buy a MacBook Pro, get Logic for free and record a hit album. You can do that now. Because technology allows you to correct the human errors that you could just practice and get better at, but you can just fix it with technology now. So I'm saying that now because a lot of us can come out here, make a really dope song. It can do well commercially. It can also do well like organically. It can do all of that and then have nothing to follow it up because you never really put yourself through the ringer. Like you didn't put yourself through it. So life has to put you through it. Right. I'm a big believer in doing it on the back end, which is what I did. Like and my parents forced me to do as well. But, you know, I went through it 
to learn the instrument and to learn that, you know, how to discipline myself early so that when life starts handing it to me, I'm like, this is just a part of the game. Like, I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> like, I'm perfectly fine with sitting around waiting on emails from people for like three or four weeks. Like, in the meantime, I'm still going to be creating and pushing forward and doing this, that, and the third because that can't slow me down. So my point is, this is my bit of advice. My advice is to keep in mind that the concept of God is an ever-evolving entity, an infinite entity, something that is is never he, she, it is, is never done growing. It is never comfortable. God is constantly expanding and it is, there's never going to be a point where you can say, all right, this is the boundary around God. God is never going to be, you know, complacent. So it is very silly for us as humans to think that, you know, we can just, you know, aim for something that is material or aim for, aim for a solid goal and be good. Like once you get that goal, you still got to push forward. And then once it gets tough, you still got to push forward, you know, and that that's really my my biggest advice is to keep in mind that, you know, the concept of the universe that we live in is infinite. So whenever we come across those hardships, like the only, the only solution is to push through it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely have to go through it to get to it. So totally agree on that. And so that's perfect. And I appreciate you leaving that insight because I think it's helpful. I mean, you know, in, in addition to like the industry tips and your background, it's good to kind of have a different point of view. Um, to keep other people inspired. So thanks so much for that. And lastly, before we uh, end the call and depart for the day, leave us with your, let us know we can find you online, social media handles, websites, any upcoming events, uh, anything that you want to share with us, go ahead and let us know. About okay, it. so this is easy. <laughs> Every Everything in the world that I'm attached to has the same name. So Kenji one time, N-K-E-N-G-E, one X. The one time is one X. So in Kenji one X on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, our website is www.inkenjionetime.com. Like it's, it's all the same thing. So anything you want to find me on type that. Um, and right now, you know, I try to do as much outreach as I can. And so if you also want to go to my website and join, uh, my mailing list, I try to make sure I reach out and keep people, you know, in the loop with new songs and stuff. But yeah, the the next big thing for me is putting this album out and performing in in Los Angeles, especially. So if you're in L.A., definitely be on the lookout because I'll be doing some shows here this year. Very excited about that. Good deal. And let us know the title of the album and anticipated release date. So the album title is The Derivative of Talent. And it's really kind of a musical, right? So I called it a Negro spiritual. And the anticipated release date, eh, sometime first quarter, for sure. Sometime first quarter. I'm not going to get too specific yet, but, right. but it's done, which is the, it's, that, that is the solace. Like, the, the, it is done, for sure. So it's coming out soon. Yeah, it's done, and I've heard it. So that I, I can co-sign on that. I know something good is coming, so. Hey, y'all heard that. <laughs> Thank you. Kenji, and we appreciate you joining us today and definitely looking forward to the album. And, uh, you know, feel free to keep us in the loop. So you take care and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You too. It's been my pleasure. Peace and love. 
Thanks for hanging out with us here on SOB. We hope this episode has been resourceful. If you'd like to check out the latest articles or follow Keetra's website updates, just log on to Keetra.com or follow her on Twitter at K-E-E-T-R-I-A.